Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 11. Feel free to use the table of contents if you need to. Mark chapter 11. And as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you in other locations across our city right now, as well as others online who are physically unable to be with us. It's good to come together around God's Word amidst all that God is doing in our midst. Praise God for an incredible weekend. Last week, all of our locations overflowing with people hearing the gospel, multitudes of people responding to the gospel, many people now ready to be baptized, being baptized today across some of our locations. God is doing so much in our midst in so many ways. And I want to encourage you not to miss out. Specifically, I want to encourage you to get connected with a church group where you can grow together with others in Christ and experience church family that goes beyond just just sitting in a room uh, once a week with people. Like, yes, this is good for all the reasons we're about to talk about actually today, but so much more that God desires for you to experience in church as family and to share the gospel with others alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ. So get involved in a church group. And then I want to give you a preview of what's coming next weekend. So it's another big weekend in our church. On Friday night, we will host Secret Church. This is a really unique, memorable night once a year where we will gather in honor of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world who have to meet in secret late at night at the risk of their lives. So we'll come together, Lord willing, this Friday night from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m., all together here at this Tyson's location. And we're going to dive into the Word like they do. Secret Church is based on time I first spent years ago with underground house churches in Asia, where we would gather together in a secret location late at night. We'd sneak in to that place and we would study the Word just for hours at a time. If you're going to gather at the risk of your life, you make the most of that time. So Secret Church is an intensive night studying God's Word. This Friday, we're going to walk through the whole book of Jonah, word for word. I cannot wait. This book is not some fairy tale about a guy getting swallowed by a fish. It's a real story with surprising relevance for our lives and for the world we're living in right now. So we're going to walk through it word for word, and we're going to learn about and pray for the persecuted church around the world, specifically the persecuted church in Iran. So don't miss this Friday night coming together again here at Tyson's from across all our locations. The only thing is, in order for you to have a study guide that night that'll be really helpful as we walk through the book of Jonah, we need to know you're coming. So it's totally free for you, but you need to register at mclanebible.org slash secretchurch. So mclanebible.org slash secretchurch. You go there right now and do it super quick before we dive into the Word, or go there soon. Just fill out that information if you want to be a part on Friday. Then next Sunday, a week from today, we're going to have one of those days during the year when I want to challenge every one of us who's a follower of Jesus, to put our lives and our plans and our futures down on the table in a fresh way and just to ask, God, are you leading me to go somewhere in the world 
where the gospel has not yet gone to a place that's unreached by the gospel. God, are you leading me to go for a week or two on a short-term trip? Or for longer than that, for a month or two, or a year or two, or to move for the spread of the gospel in a place in the world where the gospel's not yet gone. Like This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to go wherever Jesus leads us to make disciples of the nations. And for many of us, God will call us to stay right here and to live for his glory among the nations from right here. But for others of us, God will call us to go in different ways for different lengths of time. And the purpose for this next week is for all of us, without exception, just to say to God, do you want me to go? And then to see what he says. There is no follower of Jesus who shouldn't at least ask that question and then wait for him to answer instead of answering it for him. So maybe to make the connection with last week, last Sunday, thousands of people gathered here across all of our locations to hear the gospel. Meanwhile, there are over 3 billion people who have little to no access to the gospel in the world right now. Many of them never have heard it. Wouldn't it make sense that out of thousands who are here, God is leading some people to go there. So leading up to next Sunday, I want to ask you to fast and pray. So set aside a meal one day or a day and just ask God, are you leading me to go? Just say, God, more than I want food in my stomach, I want your will in my life. My food is to do your will. And spend time, instead of eating, praying, specifically for the nations, for the spread of the gospel in the world, and then ask God, how do you want me to be a part of that? And then we'll come together next Sunday and ask him to speak to our hearts by his spirit when we come together. And don't skip next Sunday because you're afraid God might call you to go somewhere else. (laughs) Seriously, you don't have to be afraid of how Jesus will lead your life. You can trust him to save you for the next 10 trillion years and beyond. You can trust him to lead you for the next couple decades. And once you realize who he is, you realize you don't need to be afraid of his leadership in your life. You need to be afraid of your leadership in your life. You need to be afraid of all these reasons why you are immediately coming up with, which may be reasons why he leaves you here. But just to say, I want to do whatever you want me to do. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just to pray a prayer and go through some religious activity. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is my life is yours, to spend however you want for your glory in the world. And periodically, we set aside time to say, who is he leading from among the thousands who are here to get the gospel to people who've never even heard it? So that's coming next Sunday. All that leads into this text, our next text in this journey through Mark. And I don't think there is a text that more clearly and powerfully affirms what God has been doing in our church over the last couple months and challenges us to go deeper, to pursue him more than we ever have. So we're actually going to split this text up into two parts, today being part one. So let me read the whole text 
Starting in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, the story of Jesus overturning tables in the temple, including what happened right before that and after that. And bear with me, my voice is, uh, I think, between allergies this week and coaching kids sports yesterday. It was gone by the end of that game. Uh, but, uh, like, not me yelling at kids, like, encouraging kids. I just want to be clear. I just want to be super clear. Although we should have won. We ended up in a tie. And anyway, sorry. All right. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. This is God's word. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, he being Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart or believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Okay, let's get the picture here, specifically the way Mark is telling this story, which is very intentional. So all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell this story of Jesus overturning tables in the temple in Jerusalem. <coughs> Sorry, that's horrible. In the mic. I apologize. I'm going to do it one more time. I'm sorry, the way that reverberates. I, and guys, I, I should have caught it, but it just came on. Okay. Back to the text. Uh, so the way he tells the story of turning over tables in the temple, bookended by this picture of a fig tree. So why does the story start on this following day, which remember here, uh, the following day is a reference to the day after Jesus had entered into Jerusalem. People were waving palm branches as he came into the city. He looked in the city, then he went out. And the following day, he comes into the city from Bethany. He's hungry. He sees this fig tree with no figs, and he curses this fig tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then we see this turning over tables of money changers and the seats of those who sell pigeons in the temple. And then right after that, we read that on the next morning, they saw the fig tree 
withered to its roots. The same fig tree that Jesus had cursed before. And what Mark is doing and the way he's telling the story is intentionally sandwiching this story about the temple between this cursing of a fig tree to make a point. Because all throughout the Old Testament, God had often compared Israel, his people, to a fig tree, including places like Jeremiah 8, 13, Joel 1, 7, where God describes how Israel's religion either was bearing fruit or was not bearing fruit. And specifically on the not bearing fruit, like look at Jeremiah 8, 13 up here on the screen. God says, when I would gather my people, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered. And what I gave them has passed away from them. So now this picture of a fig tree with no fruit in Mark is illustrating a picture of religion in the temple being practiced in Jerusalem that on the outside looks like it was a thriving picture of religion. Think about it. They had people, multitudes, crowds of people, particularly as they were coming to celebrate the Passover. They had the word of God, his law, and all kinds of other laws that they worked hard to keep. They had worship in the temple with all kinds of sacrifices. They had offerings they were giving, feasts they were observing. They had an abundance of religious activity. But they were totally missing the point. They had all the trappings of religion. Crowds of people, the word of God, the worship of God, offerings, all kinds of religious activity. They had all these things, but they were missing God. Is that possible? For crowds of people to assemble, to hear his word, to do what they call worship and other religious activity, but actually miss God. Is that possible today? Let's think a bit more about that day. We've thought about what they had. Crowds, word, worship, religious activity. Let's think about what they didn't have. What were they missing? Put it up here on the screen. Just a few things. Among others, they were missing fear, reverence, and awe before God. They were doing all kinds of activity, supposedly in the worship of God. But they were missing fear, reverence, and awe of the God they were worshiping. This was the holy ground they were on. This was the temple. This was the place where the glory of God dwelled among his people. Remember this scene from 2 Chronicles 7 when Solomon originally dedicated the temple? As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down. Imagine the scene. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of God on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what you do in the temple. 
You bow down with your face to the ground on the pavement. And you worship and you give thanks to the Lord, to Yahweh, God. Think about it. This is the place where 750 years before, Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds of the temple shook at the voice of him who called. The house, the temple was filled with smoke. And now, in Mark 11, there's none of this awe. Nobody's on their face. No one in holy fear. Did you notice verse 16 in Mark 11? It says Jesus would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. People were using the temple as a pass-through. Do you want to get from one side of the city to the other? It's too long to walk around. Just walk through it. Save some time. So you had all these people just casually walking through the temple with no thought of the glory of God. No awe before the majesty of God. No fear of the holiness of God. You think about what Isaiah said. After this scene in Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, in verse 5, it says, I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was totally undone because he knew he was in the presence of the holy God, and Isaiah knew he was not holy. The same thing in Ezra, chapter 10 Verse 1, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, the temple, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. Imagine this scene at the house of God, people making confession and weeping and casting themselves down before God in brokenness over sin. Here's something else they were missing. They were missing confession and sorrow over sin. Instead of weeping and casting down and confession over sin, in Mark 11, you have people making bank over changing money and selling offerings. So what does Jesus say? He says, you have made my house a den of of robbers. That's a quote from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. You go back and you read Jeremiah 7. It is an indicting, stinging indictment from God to his people who were basically saying, look at all our religion at the temple, all of our worship. He says, you are gathering together to worship me, but you are totally ignoring me. Listen to Jeremiah 7, 24. They did not obey or incline their ear to me, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. 
their hearts were stubborn, were hard. They were doing all kinds of injustice, ignoring the poor, the sojourner, the widow and the fatherless, walking in disobedience to God's commands, and yet presuming to worship him while they ignored him. They didn't obey or incline their ear to him. And follow this, their hearts only hardened all the more as they got used to worshiping while ignoring their sin. They got used to worship that ignored sin. And they were missing. One more thing we put on the table, faithful and forgiving prayer. And I word this intentionally. They were missing prayer. Jesus said, did I, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 56. And we'll talk more about this next week, specifically as it pertains to the all nations part. You don't want to miss that connection in a way that will totally transform the way you view this passage. And most people miss it. But for now, just focus on the reality. This is a place of prayer, of communion with God. They were missing what the temple was for. It was a place to commune with God in prayer. And then make the connection with what Jesus says right after that fig tree is withered and the disciples see it. Jesus looks at them and says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Pray with faith. Faithful, full of faith prayer. Prayer that's full of faith in the power of God to do the impossible. So you're meeting with the God who's power over the mountains and where they sit. Pray to him and ask for things from the God of the impossible. Believe that God has power to do the impossible as you ask. They were missing faithful prayer. Prayer full of faith in God and forgiving prayer. Then Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, that pretty much covers it. Anything? What about this? Is it a thing? Anyone? What about them? Are they a one? Anything against anyone. So your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. This is very similar to how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass, who sin against us. It makes sense, doesn't it? You put it together. When you are broken and weeping over your sin before a holy God, and you realize this God, in his mercy, forgives you, and you don't walk away with a heart of unforgiveness toward others. You walk away ready to forgive others. There's no room for bitterness or unforgiveness in true religion. 
in true worship of God. So, let's bring all of this text then into our worship, our religion today, like right now. And I want to be careful because there are significant differences between that day and today. And I'll point out a couple of those differences. But let's also consider the similarities. So they had people, word, worship, and religious activity. And we have all that today. We have crowds of people. We have the word, worship, religious activity. So it was possible for them to have all those things and miss the point. Is it possible for us to have all these things and miss the point? They missed God. Is it possible for us right now in this room, in all the places we're gathered, to miss God. Well, let's think about what they were missing and ask, are we missing the same things? They were missing, what was the first thing we saw? Fear, reverence, and awe before God. Is it possible for us to come into a gathering like this? And this is where I do want to point out a significant difference. We don't go to a temple, to a physical building that houses the glory of God. No, we are the temple. The Bible teaches that for followers of Jesus, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of me and you, everyone who trusts in Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 3, the Bible calls the church the temple. The church, the assembly of God's people together is the place where the glory of God dwells. So, doubly so in this gathering right now, the glory of God is here. God is present among us. So, is it possible for us to come into this gathering right now as the temple, as the dwelling place of the glory of God right now, and for us to sing songs and say prayers and open the Bible even without fear and reverence and awe before God. Yes. Like if we realize we are gathered right now in the presence of the God who is holy, 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 before whom even angels hide their face and people fall on their face, wouldn't it make sense at some point for us to fall on our faces? Like why is this posture hardly ever seen in our worship? Why, why are we why are we not often right here Is it because we are accustomed to gathering together and missing fear 
and reverence and awe before God? Because he's, he's the same God that we see in the Bible where like, all kinds of people find themselves right there. Why don't we find ourselves right there? Often. Why is that rare, if ever? And what about confession and sorrow over sin? Is it possible for us to come into this gathering today and, and sing songs and listen to prayers and a sermon, do our religious activity, and for us to walk away from here today holding on to the same sin we came in here with? Let's be honest. We do it all the time. We can all come in here, I include myself in this, and not stop and confess sin. And meanwhile, God is saying, Jeremiah 7, you're pretending to worship me, but you're not even listening to me. You're not even inclining your ear to me. And what are we See, in Mark 11, their hearts, in Jeremiah 7, their hearts had grown all the harder because they got used to worshiping and not looking at their sin. It's a dangerous place to be in when you presume to worship and you're not pausing to confess your sin. So, just think about the pictures people weeping over sin in the presence of God. When was the last time you wept over your sin? I wept over it. When was the last time we, in one of our gatherings, were just weeping together over sin? Why is that uncommon among us? What are we missing here? This has been one of the most eye-opening realities I've observed in our worship and prayer gatherings over the last couple months. People have been confessing all kinds of sin, addiction and adultery and anger and sexual immorality and pride and lust and greed and materialism and selfishness. And all we did was create some space for people to confess sin. We need that. I need that. I, I've been at almost every prayer gathering in the evenings, worship gatherings on Sunday mornings. We've had time for confession at most every one of them. There has not been a time yet when I've examined my heart before God and said, oh, nothing to confess there. I'm just not there. I don't, prior to heaven, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get there. That's the point. Do we grieve over that reality? Or are we content with that reality and to move on and ignore it? While we presume to worship, God will open our eyes to see what he sees if we are willing. God will break our hearts over what breaks his if we are willing. God, bring about confession and sorrow over sin in our hearts 
that leads to grace and mercy in his arms. This is the gospel that brings us together. For those of you who are exploring Christianity or visiting with us today, like, this is why we gather together. Because we, not because we deserve it, we deserve to be cast out of God's presence forever. We deserve to be in hell right now. We've rebelled against the holy God of the universe. We deserve his judgment. But God has done the unthinkable. God has pursued us. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has done what none of us could do. He lived a perfect life with no sin. And then even though he had no sin for which to die, he chose to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. And then three days later, he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. So that anyone, no matter who you are or what you've done, if you will trust in Jesus, God will forgive you of all your sin and restore you to relationship with him now and forever. So with this good news, this grace waiting for us, why would we not spend time in confession and sorrow over sin? Why would we be content just to kind of keep holding on to it and move on with our lives while we cover it up with religious activity? No, this is not what the people of God do. We pause and confess and express sorrow over our sin. That's why Jesus came. Mark 15, 37. Look at this. When Mark later, just a few chapters later, tells us the story of Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last. That's the moment Jesus died. The very next verse, what does Mark tell us? The curtain of the what? Temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Uh, We'll talk about this more next week, but this, this curtain is a reference to the barrier that separated sinful people from seeing being in the presence of a holy God. And when Jesus died on the cross, he tore that barrier in too. Jesus has opened the way for you to come to God, for me to come to God. Forgiven of our sin. How do we experience forgiveness? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't get to behold and experience and see the glory of God without confession and sorrow over sin, which then leads to, so keep making the connections here, to faithful and forgiving prayer. Yes, the way has been made open for us to come to God, for us to commune with the God of the impossible, to pray. But even think about that, even in our gatherings, Can we just be honest? Aren't we tempted to treat prayer as a mindless ritual? Everybody bow your heads. Somebody starts talking. And let's be honest. Many people's minds are wandering in a million directions. I do it. You do it. I just picture heaven shouting, do you realize who you're talking to? If we realize who we're talking to, 
Well, a lot of things change, including our boldness. We're talking to the omnipotent God of the universe who has power to do the impossible. This is one of the things I've loved about the last couple of months, seeing people pray with heightened faith in God, full of faith in God and his power and his wisdom and his love. God, give us faith to pray for healing. We've seen God move in response to those kinds of prayers. And at the same time, we've seen God not answer our prayers in the way we were hoping he would. That's why we've talked all the time. We trust in God's power and his wisdom and his love. And for all those reasons, we're going to ask boldly for all kinds of things in our lives, in others' lives. We've prayed for people's salvation on one night and seen that person come to Christ the next night. God gives boldness to believe when we ask that the God of the impossible is listening and will answer according to our praying. Praise God filtered through his wisdom and his love. What a privilege and forgiving prayer. Are you holding on to any unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart toward anyone about anything? It's not true religion. It's not true worship. In the name of Jesus, be free from unforgiveness. Be free from bitterness. And this is the part of the beauty of the gospel. Jesus not only forgives us, but he frees us from unforgiveness. So I've talked long enough. We need to pray and worship truly in the presence of God. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to close with a question. I'm going to put on the screen here for you to prayerfully consider before God. And then I'm going to invite our pastors at other locations to lead you to worship God truly. And by God's grace, I want to lead us in this room to worship God truly. But here's the question to kind of lead us into this. How are you prone to miss true worship. How are you in your life prone to miss fear, reverence, and awe before God? How are you prone, just look at the list, to, to miss confession and sorrow over sin? How are you prone to miss faithful and forgiving prayer? How are you prone to miss true worship in these ways. And when you just ask God to help you worship him in all these ways. So let's take a moment to answer this question before God, and then we're going to respond to his spirit leading us in worship across all our locations, this room included. God, we, God, we want to worship you truly pray that right now you would give us sensitivity to your spirit. Incline our ears to you, to hear you. Show us 
individually right now, we pray, the ways we are prone to miss true worship. And then lead us to worship you truly. Pray that you guide this time across all our locations. Speak to us now by your spirit. lead us to worship truly and much like uh, we've said at many points, I want you to have freedom in this room to and in just a moment I, I'll invite us to stand and praise God for his holiness but if it's if the spirit prompts you to instead like fall on your knees or get on your face move out from your seats into the aisles or down here at the front at any point you feel free to do that at any point you need to turn to somebody and pray with them feel free to do that just follow the leadership of his spirit but I want to invite us to sing holy 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 to sing the song of heaven but not just to say these words. Let's feel the wonder and weight of this reality of the one in whose presence we are in right now. Realize we're not, we're not starting a song. We're joining in a song. It's being sung by the angels right now in heaven. And we want to join in. God, we pray that as we sing these words to you, that you would overwhelm us with you, with who you are. You'd guard us from mindlessly singing, fix our attention, our affection wholly on you. 
and be glorified in holy fear and reverence, awe as we sing.